You're listening to episode number four of Strike the Match. With Easter just around the corner, I thought it would be very appropriate for us to spend some time talking about the resurrection and the importance of sharing our faith. My guest on today's episode is pastor and author Jonathan Dodson. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.B. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.B. You know, when we begin to look at Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, uh, that one chapter uh, is often read and definitely read uh, around this time of the year, and that is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, when we come to verse 3, he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day accordance with the Scriptures. Uh, today on Strike the Match, we're going to be talking about that and talking about the resurrection. We're going to be talking about um, evangelism. Uh, my guest is uh, the lead pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas, where he has uh, served there for seven years. Uh, he's a founding pastor there. Uh, I have Jonathan Dodson with me on Strike the Match today. Jonathan is the author of several books, uh, Gospel-Centered Discipleship. Uh, he's the author of The Unbelievable Gospel, Say Something Worth Believing, and co-author with uh, Brad Watson, uh, the book uh, Raised, Finding Jesus Worth, uh, excuse me, Finding Jesus by Doubting the Resurrection. And so uh, I want to encourage you guys, if you have not had a chance to check out uh, any of his writings, you definitely want to. And today we're going to be particularly talking about a couple of those. Uh, so Jonathan, brother, I am so glad you are with uh, me today. So welcome to Strike the Match. Thank you, J.D. It's a, it's a privilege to be with you, and thanks for your your ministry, your writing, uh, your training, and uh, it's a joy. Uh, you're, you're, you're very very kind. I, uh, I Before uh, Jonathan and I started the uh, the recording rolling, he told me that, that, uh, that they just moved into a new office. So so you're, you're, right now you're sitting in Austin, Texas, uh, in, a, in an empty office, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. It's, it, it sounds from the recording, even though we've got the microphones on and headpho- headphones, uh, it still sounds like we're a little bit in a cave. So uh, uh, it does. Anyhow, I know I know that feeling. <laughs> um, so, so man, uh, Easter is right around the corner. Uh, you and uh, the church got some exciting things planned for Easter Sunday. Yeah, we're looking forward to preaching the gospel um, to our city. Um, we uh, will have our Sunday gathering. Uh, we'll have some strings and um, looking forward to preaching on the spectacle of Christ. Uh, some pe- people find Christ a spectacle to, uh, to mock. Mm-hmm. As we see in the Gospels, and some is a spectacle to exaggerate. And, of course, the spectacular news is that Jesus transcends both of those. is a spectacle of God's wrath and of God's grace. So Amen. looking forward to preaching Christ to our city. Awesome. Brother, that, that is exciting. Uh, along those lines, uh, you've got this book, uh, actually a couple books, that came out last year, uh, 2014, uh, The Unbelievable Gospel, Say Something Worth Believing, and then uh, the book Raised, Finding Jesus by Doubting the Resurrection. Uh, and I was hoping to have some time to talk with you about those two today. Uh, you know, t- today, uh, Lord willing, if, if everything goes well with our technology, uh, this this podcast will be up on Good Friday for those of you that are listening there. And so I thought it'd be great for, for Jonathan to join with us in, in talking about uh, these two works. Uh, let me start with Ray's, Jonathan. So uh, this book, uh, very concise work, uh, very good book, uh, Ray's. What, what, what is this book about? 
this book is about doubt, and it is also about the resurrection. We, uh, together, Brad lives in Portland, Oregon, um, among uh, a lot of skeptics, and uh, I live in Austin, both kind of progressive, uh, mm-hmm. creative cities, um, uh, thoughtful cities, and we uh, got to thinking about our relationship with uh, skeptics and doubters, uh, intellectuals, uh, people with concerns about this kind of audacious claim right at the center of the Christian faith that a man beat death. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we kind of respect and kind of love these friends that we have. And we felt like we wanted to write a short resource that could address some of their doubts and their skepticism. It could be written in an afternoon, or excuse me, read in an afternoon. So we, it came out of um, a love for skeptics and the questions that they ask and the questions they help us ask of our own faith. And uh, so Raised is a, a product of, I think, love and a product of faith in the risen Christ. You know, it's got a very provocative subtitle, Finding, <laughs> Je- Finding Jesus by Doubting the resurrection, and uh, I, I want to read just a, just a few few sentences that you guys wrote in this book. Uh, you, you say, if you doubt the resurrection, I'm glad. Uh, anything worth believing has to be worth questioning, uh, but don't let your questions slip away unanswered. What, what, what do you mean by that, that you're, you're, you're glad if they're doubting the resurrection? Yeah, I've I been a Christian for quite a few decades, and, and in my experience, uh, Christians tend to treat doubt as kind of the eighth deadly sin. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, it's not listed as, as, an, as sin. Uh, uh, Jesus is very welcoming of doubt. Um, it, it, we're t- told even if he's, after he's resurrected in his resurrection body, there uh, on the mountain before he ascends to the Father and gives that great commission that we are all very familiar with, um, we're told that, um, uh, that many worshipped him but some doubted. Mm-hmm. Um, we think of the scene with Thomas. Uh, Thomas uh, doesn't believe, and he even sees the resurrected Christ in front of him. Um, and Jesus doesn't come down him hard and kind of judge him. Hey, I told you about my death and resurrection my whole life. You know, you were one of the twelve. Like, uh, goodness gracious, you know, um, there's no place for doubt. Instead, he he invites him to press his wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think today many of the people who are searching uh, for truth and are skeptical about the resurrection, they want to feel the truth, perhaps like Thomas felt the wounds of Christ. Mm -hmm. And very often their doubts are shut down. And for them, doubts are a way of feeling their way into the truth. They want their doubts to be taken seriously. And a lot of kind of Christian apologetics have kind of mounted up a bunch of uh, evidences Mm -hmm. and said, aha, See, the resurrection is rational, historical, plausible. You need to believe it now. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, with all the different apologetics books out there, you know, what, what make, is, is that what makes Ray's distinct from those works? Yeah, there's a lot of other books that have been written that would be much more academic or robust. Um, but very often the resources are kind of evidential and so I think this is one of the things we, we acknowledge the audacious claim that a man would beat death. Um, we, in our experience, we don't see people uh, kind of come out of the funeral home. Uh, you know, we don't encounter resurrection from the dead. And so I, I think what we wanted to do is to sympathize with the kind of 
um, almost irrationality of this claim and, uh, and begin to climb into the doubter's mind and to say, you know what, that is pretty wild, and let's think about it together. It is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a almost absurd fairy tale notion. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the idea is to sympathize with their doubt, to understand, to look at the resurrection from the vantage point of doubt, and then to slowly move kind of through a narrative experiential apologetic, mm-hmm. and less of kind of um, see all these you know uh, evidences we have. Yeah, you you know one of the things that I was really impressed about in this book is that that you you acknowledge with the reader that uh, you know if they if they struggle to believe the resurrection, uh, you know they they were pretty much in in company with most of the Jews and the Greeks who lived in Jesus's day as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in many ways, I'm summarizing uh, N. T. Wright's argument in his thousand page tome that <laughs> the resurrection of the Son of God. Um, yeah, and, and what he does there is just great history. Mm-hmm. Um, he shows uh, that uh, the Jews, and uh, they hoped in the resurrection, but it was just one big resurrection at the end of time when everybody was raised to be judged or to be saved. Um, so if you came to a Jew in the middle of, uh, of history and said, uh, Jesus is risen from the dead, isn't it great? They would say, how can that be? We're not all risen from the dead. Mm. Um, for the Greeks, uh, you know, kind of this is a simplification for sake of time, but most Greeks didn't desire the resurrection. They thought that the body was evil and that it was to be escaped um, and that the, the realm of ideas uh, was uh, perhaps the philosopher king and Plato's thought is where you want to be. And so uh, escape the lower things uh, to the higher things. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a resurrection body was actually it, the body was a cage. It was something to be escaped, mm-hmm. as you know. Use a line from Arcade Fire that you know you want to escape this prison of a body. Um, so this is the funny thing: is that doubt in the resurrection is nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all there in the first century: Jews, Greeks, even Romans. So <clears throat> uh, yeah, we're in good we're in good footing <laughs> with the first century. You know, and one of the things in this book is it's it's not just a it's not a book about encouraging doubt. It's a book I would say that acknowledges you know those doubts are out there. The real uh, they have always been. Uh, but but you you articulate the gospel message in this book as well. Oh, absolutely. I think the hope is to move from doubt to faith. Mm-hmm. So as the reader takes in uh, and reflects on the gospel, that they, to become people of faith in the risen Christ. So I think there's a line we use in there, um, you know, if, if, halfway through the book, if you don't, haven't believed in the resurrection, um, well, you should want to believe in it hmm. because the resurrection changes, and it's not an overstatement, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Right. That, yeah, I, I love the metaphor you use. Talk about kind of the boat. Uh, just just mm-hmm. reading here from the book, it says you say faith is the the unnoticed ferry lying hidden near the bank of the river uh, that can take us from the river bank of doubt across the waters that divide to the other side of belief in the resurrection. It's not blind faith, as some wrongly assume. You don't cross by closing your eyes and wishing Jesus' resurrection was true. No, uh, you cross with your eyes wide open. This is an informed faith, faith in a historically plausible resurrection attested by hundreds of witnesses, one proven to be worth believing. That's a really powerful statement there. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's it's true. Uh, there are 
millions and millions and millions of people on the other side of faith who are with Jesus. And um, there's this rich history of thoughtful Christianity whereby people have um, come to the conviction that Jesus, in fact, has conquered sin, death, and evil, and um, through his own death and resurrection, and has made them new and is in the process of making all things new. Mm. So, yes, uh, it's, it's important that we recognize that there is a journey to take, but it's not a, it's not a blind journey. It's not a leap of faith. Um, it is a step, a reasonable step, um, but a step that has faith. It's intellectual, it's rational, but it's affectional. It's prizing Christ over whatever I prize in my life now. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's so, important. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if you're listening to us in this podcast, and this is the first time you've heard about this book, uh, or you've heard about it and you have not had a chance to obtain it, let me encourage you to do so. It's about 100 pages. Great resource to be able to put into the hands of someone that you do not know uh, who is a follower of Christ uh, to lead to some great conversations, uh, but, but very good gospel presentation in there as well. At the same time, I would encourage you guys as listeners to consider even using this uh, with believers as well. I mean, I found my myself being very encouraged, very, very edified uh, by what I was reading in this book. Uh, but uh, during this time of the year when, when people are, are open to spiritual things, particularly re- related to the Easter holiday season, uh, if you will, this is a great conversation piece to take you in your, your witnessing uh, even farther down the road. Which leads me to the second uh, resource uh, from Jonathan that I, that I want us to touch on today. Uh, and that's his book that also came out uh, last year called The Unbelievable Gospel. Uh, Jonathan, I, th- I feel like that the title is, uh, is it's a great title, but it wasn't what I thought the book was about uh, when mm. I first picked it up. What, what, what is this book about? This book is about the way in which uh, our evangelism has rendered, in some ways, the gospel unbelievable to people that we want to believe it. Yeah, so, so I get into this book, and, 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 and you're talking about sharing our faith and evangelism, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking what, what, is, what is up with this? But, but the, the title does a really good job of, of really uh, uh, kind of being a, a foreshadowing of what's to come in the book, because a, a lot of what you're doing is— is tearing down some stereotypes to to edify the body of Christ. Uh, so c- can you give us a little understanding of this book? Sure. It's uh, kind of arranged in three sections. So the first section would deal with defeaters. Mm-hmm. We've all had that moment in evangelistic opportunity, and we think, man, I should really share my faith, or I should turn the spiritual corner, or I should ask them a deeper question, and we back off of it, right? Mm-hmm. We know it's a great opportunity, but we don't go through with it. Why do we do that? Well, I think there are a lot of good reasons not to evangelize in those moments that come to mind. Reasons like, I don't want to be preachy. I don't want to be intolerant, demeaning of other people's faiths. I don't want to be impersonal. I want them to know that I love them and that, that there's a relationship here. And it's not about just kind of, you know, uh, bagging them uh, with the gospel. So <clears throat> uh, it, it, the first section deals with these defeaters that we have that surface in our mind. Uh, intellectual defeaters, uh, personal defeaters. And they should be thought through. I think there's some good reasons there. You know, you don't want to be an impersonal person that doesn't love people right. and just drops information. Um, you want to respect someone's faith, uh, not just demean it. Uh, we see Jesus doing both those things. So uh, first section deals with the defeaters. Uh, second section deals with kind of what I call re-evangelization. Um, the reality is underneath, there's a defeater underneath the defeater. 
that even if you get all the defeaters kind of dress, addressed intellectually, that often, um, as the Proverbs say, the fear of man is a snare, mm-hmm. but the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. And we, we, the defeater underneath may be the fear of man. What is, the, what is this person going to think of me? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, so we want to conquer that, not with greater arguments or you know, uh, speaking more loudly, but, but with a, a confidence in that God is the one who gives us relational security, not the people we're talking to. So, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. The, and the third section is just the gospel metaphors, a kind of culturally discerning, uh, personal way to think through different ways to communicate the gospel based on different people that we're talking to. Not a one-size-fits-all, but a more discerned. Jesus does this in the gospels. He, he, he communicates kingdom truth and gospel truth different ways to different people, mm-hmm. and so I try to make a case for that. Yeah, I, you know, absolutely. I, you know, I appreciated, you know, you drawing attention to understanding culture, context, you know, not mm-hmm. operate out of a canned approach. Um, you know, as I've taught people over the years in sharing their faith, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, when I ask them, like, for, just for example, um, you know, as we go like John 3 and, and John chapter 4, when we look at Jesus and Nicodemus and Jesus and the Samaritan woman, you know, I'll, I'll ask the question, why didn't Jesus talk to the Samaritan woman about being born again? Uh, mm-hmm. Why didn't he talk to Nicodemus about living water? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's surprising uh, when we get into the text and, and we begin to understand, you know, what is being said there in the cultural matters, um, that, that a lot of people are really surprised that it the approach is varied as the Spirit led in different contexts. Yeah, it really is. You, you, Jesus is the, the greatest example. As Paul does it also, Peter, but... Um, Jesus uses agrarian metaphors mm-hmm. like the harvest with uh, farmers. He uses legal language um, with uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he's very sensitive to the person he's talking to. Think of this conversation with the rich young ruler um, who came to him. And uh, Jesus actually, the, the rich young ruler says, hey, how can I inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the conversation, Jesus has not really answered that question but he tells him um, if he sells all his possessions that he can have a treasure in heaven. Why did Jesus mm-hmm. not use the eternal life language? Because that's what he asked. Because Jesus knew who he was talking to and someone who loved his possessions. Mm-hmm. And so he actually picked a gospel metaphor that was connected to his heart idol, mm-hmm. his longing for possessions, and said, aha, there's a better treasure. If you really want treasure, sell the earthly stuff. There's a better treasure in heaven. Yeah. So Jesus is, is very attentive to our vocabulary and to, to the vocabulary that's attached to our, our beliefs and our longings. So, so gospel message never changes, but our methods, our, our way of communicating that gospel message does, does flex with the context and the time and the people. Yes. Uh, John Mabidi, African missiologist, once said that the, the gospel is eternal and unchanging, but it is like a beggar that seeks food and shelter, hmm. whatever culture it enters. Hmm. So, you know, the, the gospel is called eternal in revelation by the angel who heralds it. Mm-hmm. it does not change. It is this robust, eternally true, unchanging, glorious message of Christ. And yet, um, as it enters into different cultures, it takes on different expressions. Um, it's, it's, it's a beggar, not because it's poor, but because it takes on different clothing and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, makes sense in, in different ways. So among the Chinese, you know, the, the bread of life didn't really resonate. So some translations uh, translate the rice of life because mm-hmm. rice is the bread equivalent. You would be familiar with many of these redemptive analogies. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, I'm trying to come 
kind of come along in that rich history of missiology, redemptive analogies, and kind of look at it in a Western uh, context. In the book, Unbelievable Gospel, you, you talk about the difference between, between uh, proselytizing and evangelism. Could, could you uh, say a few words about that? Sure. Um, a, a lot of what people reject as non-Christians is proselytizing, not evangelism. Uh, proselytizing is um, the attempt to recruit someone to a cause. So that cause could be your view on the millennium. It could be your political view on abortion or something. It could be your view on morality and sexuality. Uh, um, but essentially, the person in the workplace is, is trying to share their faith. But in fact, what they're doing is they're trying to recruit people to political, uh, theological, moral causes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, evangelism isn't uh, trying to recruit to a cause. It's trying to uh, reason people into uh, genuine belief in Christ. So in, in proselytizing, you'll notice that Christ isn't even present. When you're trying to recruit someone to a political platform, view on a millennium, mm-hmm. morality, even though some of these things might be in the Bible itself, it's not Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's putting things in front of Christ and saying, well, if you had this political view, if you had this morality, um, if you agree with me on sexual ethics, well, then you could come to my church or you could be in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But Paul says he preaches Christ and him crucified and that he wants to remove all the stumbling blocks in front. Mm-hmm. So good evangelism, I think, is going to move as many blocks out of the way as possible in order to reasonably talk about the good message and hope of Christ. So um, I think Pope John Paul even said that uh, there was a dif- difference between proselytizing and evangelism, and that, that proselytizing um, builds up walls. See, so you've got to deal with all these things, and then you can be on our side. But evangelism uh, builds bridges. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm wanting us to be a more winsome, bridge-building people um, as we think about gospel communication. The Bible says, for for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And uh, today on Strike the Match, uh, my my guest has been Jonathan Dodson, who has... um, really been uh, unpacking that truth of not only the gospel message, that it is it is a message worth believing, it is the power of God unto salvation, uh, but also uh, unpacking the notion uh, of the resurrection and how to to think about the resurrection uh, for for those that uh, that aren't thinking about the resurrection or aren't followers of Christ uh, right now. So these two resources, I want to encourage you guys that are listening to to get a copy of, of both of these, uh, at least both of these, the Unbelievable Gospel uh, by Jonathan Dodson, and then the book Raised: Finding Jesus by Doubting the Resurrection by by Jonathan and Brad Watson. Great resource for for your unbelief. Friends, Jonathan, can you tell us uh, where you are online? How can people find out about you? Uh, I have one social media channel. If I had more, I'd go crazy. <laughs> so it's Twitter um, at Jonathan underscore Dotson. Um, I do have a kind of blog website, uh, JonathanDotson.org. So um, if someone wanted to email me, they could find an email there. So it's uh, uh, your, your Twitter, Twitter site is at J O N A T H A N underscore d-o-d-s-o-n correct and then you blog site jonathan dotson dot org dot org yes church website 
City, uh, AustinCityLife.org. AustinCityLife.org. Brother, thank you so very much for being with us today. It's been an honor uh, talking with you. And, uh, man, your, your words of encouragement and exhortation to us uh, about you know, sharing our faith and uh, being in the lives of unbelievers is uh, not only uh, important in general, but very important at this time of the year when so many people tend to be more open to having such conversations. Yeah, well, it's been a treat to be on your show. Thank you so much, J.D. You're welcome. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.